Greetings, Rays community. Brent coming in live with today's guest, Becky Fulmer, who serves as Associate Vice President for Advancement Operations at the University of Central Florida. Greetings, Becky. Hi, it is so good to be with you, Brent, and thank you for having me. Well, I was commenting, this has been a uh, a, a spurt of coincidental, although pre-scheduled Big 12 development conference uh, podcast episode follow-ups. I've connected with Greg Willems recently, your former colleague, Steve Rosfeld, who's now at the University of Cincinnati. Great to see you again, uh, but it does uh, line up well that we were just in person last week in Lawrence, Kansas. So that being said, we've covered a lot of ground over the years and uh, even last week, but not the ground that we're about to cover because I've never said something like, hey, Becky, I want to know more about your college journey. Tell me about Becky, junior year of high school. Who is she? What was she into? And what led her to the Ohio State University? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I haven't thought about this in a long time. And first, before I dive into that, I'll say, like, what a great conference that Big 12 Development Conference was. Um, The energy of that group at Lawrence, Kansas, was phenomenal uh the university of kansas what a wonderful host so that was just that was just an amazing experience all around um but who i was since a junior in high school gosh um i would say like idealistic um you know passionate about changing the world um did not have any idea really what i wanted to do um with my life and so I'd say like in high school I toyed around with the idea of a marine biologist but I lived in Ohio so that you know that that was a bit of a stretch uh for me to be thinking about then I was into physical therapy and ultimately I entered college um with an elementary education major because that's what my mom did um and so that's kind of the default in my family but uh very quickly um in getting into college I I changed course just a little bit realized that I I did not want to be uh, an elementary school teacher, though I have so much respect um, for those who are. And I changed my major to English. um, And so that was uh, my undergraduate um, degree was in English. Um, I went to Ohio State sort of by default also, um, (laughs) just because it was where uh, a lot of members of my family went. Um, But I love that university. It was such a transformational experience for me, uh, and particularly the the relationships with the faculty um, that I had there, and just what a wonderful kind of learning uh, culture, very formative experience for me. And I I bleed scarlet and gray, although now also black and gold. I'm surprised to hear you say faculty relationships because you would just think Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a lot of things, but you know, small and intimate isn't one of them. So why were you able to do that? Great question. So I actually started out at one of Ohio State's regional campuses. Um, and the benefit to that was you got kind of the Ohio State experience, but a small dose uh, of it with what with much smaller classes. So as a freshman in college, I was in um, classes with fully tenured uh, professors, um, small class sizes, and really, I think, got um, some wonderful experiences learning uh, from that level of faculty. And then eventually I transferred to the Columbus campus uh, and graduated from there, but I was already, you know, well into my major. Uh, So it was a different kind of journey for me, but uh, that the regional campus that I attended was in Lima, Ohio, and can't say enough great things about it. Love that makes more sense. And so you're studying English and at the same time starting to think about a career path. And luckily, uh, English is used in lots of careers, but doesn't necessarily point you in a specific direction. So how'd you narrow it down? Um, so my career path has been, uh, uh, has involved a few different things. Um, and so my first job out of college was at Ohio State, uh, because uh, it was familiar. And I'll just say I was an editorial assistant for the Encyclopedia of the Midwest, which sounds riveting, I am sure. But it was actually, it was, it was quite fun. Um, I got to work with, uh, again, uh, a number of really kind of eminent scholars um, and leaders. There were uh, a, a couple of uh, faculty members from Ohio State and then one from um, uh, Miami University in Oxford that were part of that project. We worked with uh, scholars and 
uh, researchers kind of all over the world um, in developing content for that encyclopedia. So uh, that was fun. Um, and then after that- Well, my, Becky, I mean, <laughs> I've got to ask as a Midwesterner, I mean, what's just one or two fun fact that maybe you can uh, dust off for us that people who haven't spent time in the Midwest that haven't read or written an encyclopedia about it might be interested in. Oh my gosh. Anything stand out? No worries if not, just. No, um, I, not anything in particular. And I went, gosh, I wish I could answer this question because there are certainly some gems. Uh, I just can't think of them right now. But I do think, um, you know, that that was an experience that made me see. I mean, I, I, I could even say like, did you define what the Midwest is? Because there's a lot of, you yeah. know, hot takes about what is the Midwest even? What states make the cut? Which ones don't? Any, I don't know. We did. Um, and I remember thinking, I can't, I, gosh, Brett, man, if only I had brushed up on my encyclopedia oh, good. history uh, before this. So um, just give me a state that isn't really in the Midwest, but kind of thinks they I are. Feel like, vice versa. I feel like Kentucky is a little bit, a little bit on the edge. Um, and and honestly, I can't remember if we had that in or had it out. I think we had it out um, of of the Midwest. But I and I want to say Pennsylvania is also one. We're not sure. Um, like a little bit of Pennsylvania might be in the Midwest, maybe not all of it. So I think those border states they were all um, all like right on the on the cusp. Love it. I I think I'm you know pro. Pennsylvania, Midwest, anti-Kentucky. So that lines yeah. up, you know, but Pennsylvania is a big state. Is Philly Midwest? No, absolutely no. not. You're right. No, East Coast. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, well, so you, you, you do that. And then ultimately, uh, my understanding is you uh, get exposure to the world of impact and philanthropy. Uh, and it sounds like uh, in a pretty amazing context that uh, had to be pretty emotional, um, just, just given the focus area. Yeah, yeah, that was a really, uh, my my work there was a little bit more editorial uh, in nature, but I did get some exposure to grant writing. Um, and I, I would say one of the things that that uh, job did for me was really kind of cement that how I spend my time and how I, uh, you know, focus my efforts and energy uh, professionally, really, it's important the impact um, of of what that means, um, you know, and and so um, after the that. What was the what was the organization? What was the mission? Um, what stood out about your time there? Um, so it was it was a project that was sponsored by Ohio State, um, and so it still felt like to me um, a really important contribution um, to knowledge um, and understanding about what the Midwest was in that particular. Um, scenario, but I, I think it was my career step after that that was probably the it, it was very very different and emotional on a much different level um, than my work there. And so once once the encyclopedia project ended, and again that was that was such a wonderful experience, and I worked with terrific people. Um, I had an opportunity to kind of rethink um, and uh, about about what I wanted to do, and ended up uh, taking a position at a small organization. Um, very close to where I grew up that uh, was in the child welfare uh, area. And so they provided uh, residential treatment and foster care and adoption to kids who had emotional and behavioral issues. Um, and that was just an eye-opening uh, experience. I was in kind of my late 20s um, at that point um, and worked with, you know, teenagers that had come from such a different, uh, just a completely different place uh, than what I had come from. And the amount of, um, I think, just turmoil and transition and uh, kind of absolute lack of safety that they had experienced in their life to, to be then on, uh, you know, a, a part of their journey. Um, we, we dealt mostly with kids who were older teenagers um, at that point. So we had lots who were kind of aging out of the system uh, at that point and, and trying to support them through all of that. It was just a really, um, a really, again, eye-opening and um, kind of heart-rending experience uh, to be a part of that. And, and that for me was something that really um, 
cemented for me the importance and the power of education to transform lives. You know, as I thought about those kids who were, who were aging out of the system and going um, out into a world where they, they didn't really have um, a home or a community that had necessarily consistently invested in their education um, and uh, provided, you know, good solid learning experiences for them. And so they were going out into the world without that kind of, uh, without that kind of support um, network or anything like that. That was, that was, uh, you know, really difficult to think about. Um, and so, uh, you know, it, it just reinforced my passion uh, for education, higher education for sure, but also, um, you know, how do we grow uh, young adults um, into, and, and, you know, starting when they're children into productive members of society. Um, and, and while the last several years, uh, you know, I haven't necessarily been as involved in that world, that is definitely something that I think a lot about going back to at some point, um, particularly even uh, as uh, uh, a special advocate for those kids, you know, as I, as my own kids get a little bit older and out of the house, I'll have a little bit more time to devote to that. Uh, but that population uh, of youth that are that are growing up in the foster care uh, and child welfare system and aging out, that's a really special population of kids. I love it. Thank you for sharing. And, um, you know, I won't, uh, I won't dive deeper into the stories, although I can imagine how um, kind of emotional and challenging that might have been. And then ultimately, uh, it sounds like that was part of what both um, exposed you to the importance of philanthropy, uh, reinvigorated your um, passion and interest in education, and then you had the opportunity to join, you know, for sure, one of the real, I think, powerhouses of the advancement world, which is Ohio State University. And, um, and so I'd love to know more about just joining the organization, your uh, you've got some professional perspective. It's, it's coming home to Ohio state in a certain regard, but it's very different to be, you know, a full-time staff member in the advancement shop versus a student on campus. So what do you learn? What were some of the initial impressions that you had on the inside? Yeah. So um, what a, what a great question. And I'll say, I, I did get my start in philanthropy with that small organization. I was a, actually a frontline fundraiser for uh, a little bit of time there. Uh, before making the move to Ohio State. And one of the most shocking things to go back to Ohio State from a small uh, nonprofit organization was uh, in the small organization, you wear a lot of different hats and you do a lot of different things and um, you know sometimes uh, feel spread a little bit thin. You go to a place like Ohio State and and there's somebody to do every every bit of that, right? So I would I would go in with the mentality of like, oh, I could do this or I could do this or I could try this. And like, no, 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 that's somebody else's job. No, 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 that's somebody else's job. And and it took a little bit of time to kind of wrap my head around that and to be able to work into a, a system like that. But ultimately, I really like that because it gives you an opportunity to really kind of um, go deep in, in a particular domain, a particular area um, and develop some expertise, I think, in a way that you can't necessarily do. Um, when you're trying to cover all of the things in a small uh, organization. So um, Ohio State is, again, just love that place uh, so much. And what made it so special, I think, was the people. Um, definitely a very different experience uh, working there uh, than being a student there. But something that is that permeates Ohio State, I think, uh, at all levels is just this great sense of institutional affinity. Like, like you love that place and, and you're really uh, convinced and committed to, to the change that it's making um, in the world, right? And there's just, I, I think about it a lot as there's just this expectation of excellence uh, at Ohio State. It's it, it's woven into everything uh, that that they do there. And I, I just really like that. Um, to, to be a part of the culture and a team like that was really impactful. You know, two of my uh, closest friends, uh that I got to know in college at Brown, both grew up in Ohio, one in Akron, one in outside of Columbus uh, in a town called Grove City. And I lived with them right out of college in Chicago, a lot of Ohio State affinity, uh, certainly in Chicago. And it was really the first time that, that I got exposed to the whole, you know, OH thing. And it was so annoying, but also 
really impressive at the same time. And there just are only a few institutions. You know, you Auburn has War Eagle. I mean, there's a couple more out there, mm-hmm. but where it's like at that level of you're walking through the airport, you're walking down the street, you're on a bus, it doesn't matter. People are just yelling at each other. At the same time, most of those people are not giving this fiscal year. And it's just an amazing mix of deep affinity that doesn't always convert to philanthropy, which I'm sure you spend a ton of time thinking about. But how do you all get your arms around that when you are at Ohio State? Um, Gosh, you asked some really, really great questions. So um, I think one of the things that was was really starting to change and transform at Ohio State during my time there um, and I'll say, uh, you know, working with uh, Mike Iker there at a, like such a transformational leader and even, you know, from several layers down in the organization, just really learned a lot um, from wa- watching kind of how he was able to kind of come in and, and build a culture and create a, a culture that was, was still felt very much like Ohio State, but, you know, was, was at the same time different. Um, so I think that, you know, they're challenged to think about just because somebody isn't giving right now doesn't mean that they won't be giving in the future. And how do we start to build that affinity and leverage that sense of connection and identity um, with Ohio State into a relationship that may down the road, um, you know, um, turn into a philanthropic relationship. But there are lots of other ways that people can express that affinity and that point of engagement. And how do we capture that, cultivate that um, you know, towards that end uh, down the road, but, um, you know, start early and not make that necessarily, this is me, me talking, uh, not necessarily the explicit first thing that we need somebody to do um, when they're connecting with uh, an organization. And you were, you know, focused in the prospect management realm, which is not necessarily trying to get, you, you know, my buddies to lob in a hundred dollars because they like yelling OHIO out at people they don't know, but but when you think about translating that um, or unlocking philanthropy around the middle, upper middle of the pyramid, newly assigned prospects, I would imagine that there's some level of um, confidence when you work at Ohio State, knowing that most people love this place and they're not afraid to shout at, you know, shout about it with strangers. But that doesn't mean you're not going to get the hard no, the pass, the, you know, challenge of getting your foot in the door to really have a philanthropic conversation. Um, but but what was your read on that? Did it feel like there was a bit of an unfair advantage and you really just needed the blocking and tackling to go, you know, tap into that affinity? Or was it a harder sell given maybe less of a culture of, I don't know, major gift fundraising for a public institution? No, I think I think that that the the same themes probably apply in every university that I've worked in. So Ohio State and then the University of Cincinnati uh, for about five years, and now at UCF, uh, all slightly different flavors because they're institutions at different places. Um, but um, you know, this the same underlying themes kind of exist there, where um, you have a, a, a number of people who haven't heard from the institution in thirty years, and then all of a sudden, you know. Um, getting asked to have coffee with somebody or, or something like that. You have um, a, a lot of different messages kind of going out to people all over the place. Um, and so how do you try to capture that with consistent storytelling and consistent kind of brand experience? Um, and then you also had, uh, I, I think it was true kind of tying back to the people who had gone for a very long time without hearing from the university. Um, it, you know, you have to really be intentional about setting a strategy to engage people outside of your back door. So, so, so many of the alumni live in Columbus and or uh, in the state of Ohio. Once you get out of those boundaries, uh, what are you talking about? And so I think, um, you know, I know Ohio State has done a lot of work um, in, in that uh, space. And I, and I think, too, digital engagement uh, offers us some opportunities that maybe we had not traditionally had. I know when I was um, at Ohio State, which wasn't that long ago, but you know, we were still in the mindset that uh, we were engaging in person almost all of the time. You know, the email um, and some some email newsletters and things like that. But it was you had to get on a plane and get on the road, and 
uh, have these events in order to have kind of a national presence. Um, and I don't think that's really true anymore. So, um, you know, I think universities that are uh, thinking a lot about how to complement, uh, you know, at, at a certain level, the in-person, I think is still really, really important, um, it, it, particularly to the overall experience and to uh, building trust with donors. Um, but gosh, there's so much that can be gained through lots and lots of different methods of, of digital engagement, which we talk about all the time. Of course. I mean, look, at last check, there were roughly 580,000 Ohio State alumni. You've worked at other large institutions uh -huh. and do currently. It's hard to get to those folks yep. one at a time having coffees. Um, and we'll, we'll certainly talk more about that. So you, you move on from Ohio State, join the University of Cincinnati, which I'm putting myself in their shoes. And I'm thinking, I want to I, I want to bring some of that experience and expertise to to bear here at the foundation as, as we continue to advance our work. Plenty of Bearcat affinity, you know, then and now, mm -hmm. um, but certainly a different, you know, it's it's a different institution, different focus, and would love to know kind of what you walked into there uh, and what you were most pr proud of having accomplished when you uh, moved on. Yeah, so um, I, I think I came to Cincinnati at a time where they were really, um, had, one, they had experienced um, a level of growth um, prior to my arrival there. So the Proudly Cincinnati campaign was really transformational for them, really put them on a whole different level um, in terms of fundraising. And, and that had kind of been able to be sustained for a number of years. And I think then they were looking and starting a plan for the next campaign and so wanting to make that next um, jump up in terms of, you know, fundraising activity and, and engagement and all of that. So um, it was a, a, an, a time of transition. And I, I really like that. Uh, I like coming in and being able to build new things. Um, and in that respect, I, I started at Cincinnati um, as uh, leading their prospect development team. Um, and I think there was really you know, my early work there focused on building just some fundamental infrastructure, uh, you know, uh, in terms of prospect management policy and documentation. They had uh, recently uh, transitioned over to a new CRM system. So really, uh, which is the same one that Ohio State used. And so I was able to bring some of the cool, uh, you know, customizations and, and functionality that we were able to build at Ohio State and apply it um, at Cincinnati as well. So there was just a lot of, I think, just infrastructure building. Uh, that I would say there in terms of prospect development. What a fantastic team, first I'll say, uh, about the University of Cincinnati. So much, uh, I think, uh, pride uh, in the institution for uh, the team that works there and doing some really incredible work. Um, and coming from Ohio State, right? Like, you know, it, it's, um, it, it seemed like a much smaller organization, but boy, you get into, um, you get in to learn a little bit more about what they're doing. And it is really transformational and, and a terrific uh, institution. Um, about a, a couple of years into my tenure there, I had an opportunity to step into uh, uh, campaign leadership uh, for them. And that was, that was a real, it was new for me. Like it, I had been in prospect development um, for uh, a long time really had kind of infinity and love of that kind of work. Um, and so going into a campaign really made me think differently and flex some, some different kinds of muscles. Um, I'll say I it, it was just a, a, a tremendous learning experience um, for me. And, uh, and uh, we had a global pandemic like that started six months after we launched uh, the campaign publicly. So that was also uh, a good learning experience to try to navigate that uh, as an institution. What should every uh, director of prospect management or prospect development better understand about the role of a campaign director and vice versa? Oh, huh. you know, I think it's that, um, and, and I think that, you know, most people in prospect development probably eventually come to learn about this and come to understand this. Uh, which is like the data doesn't tell you the whole story and, and context is so, so important. Um, right. And you, and I think in um, a, a few things that I think being in campaign made me think about differently is, is one um, understanding at a deeper level, the institutional priorities. Like I think in prospect development, you're kind of, you're kind of brought up to be, be thinking on a prospect level. You're thinking about an individual prospects 
um, interest and, and you're really taking that kind of uh, view, I think understanding how universities work, understanding how priorities get set, um, the in the kind of the 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 politics and relationships between boards and university leadership and deans and colleges and how all of that stuff kind of uh, intersects with each other is so so important to the context of a campaign and an institution's uh, ability to be successful and their fundraising. And I think sometimes on the operational side of advancement, we don't always get engaged um, in that kind of uh, awareness uh, about a university and how it operates. So um, that was interesting to think about. Um, you know, the, I, I think the other thing too is what makes an idea fundable um, and, and, and understanding that really successful philanthropy, at least I think, does a really good job of, of blending the donor's interests with the university's capacity, um, right? And so I think uh, in, in prospect development, you have such a donor focus that you don't always necessarily think about the university perspective. Uh, on that as well, and our ability, uh, if we raise this kind of big gift, are, are we gonna be able to deliver on it? And, and how do you go through kind of the institutional capacity building to make sure you can fulfill uh, that donor's intent and that it's in line uh, with what you need to be doing as an organization or as a university. Love that. Um, you got pretty plugged into the prospect development community? Who are some of your friends in that space or conferences or groups that you've been a part of mm -hmm. uh, as you've both grown and, and built your networks? I have, I, I think APRA is such a wonderful, wonderful um, organization. And one of the great things about the prospect development community, I think, is that it really does feel like a community. Um, it's not just a whole bunch of people who are kind of doing the same thing. Like we share information with each other. Conferences are such a wonderful time to like see people um, and be together. Uh, there's great idea sharing. And I, I think this is probably true across most of advancement, um, but in prospect development, just really uh, what, what a strong and great community. I, most of my uh, professional activity um, association wise was uh, with APRA. Um, so, so many wonderful people who were uh, leaders in that organization who I learned so much from and we were able to take some great ideas um, and incorporate them back at Ohio State. I will say as institu institutional, um, like so, so many wonderful people, but I'm gonna give a shout out to the University of Michigan, like amazingly because I'm a Buckeye. Um, their prospect development operation and Craig Leonard um, and the work that he did there, like I learned so much from them um, and um, they they took the initiative like several years ago to start a prospect development forum called the Great Lakes Prospect Development Forum. Um, and it was a little bit more focused than the Big Ten. It was really kind of the, um, the Great Lakes schools, but a lot of Big Ten schools were a part of it. Um, and it was, uh, they hosted it every year um, when I was there. And it was just such an amazing um, opportunity to get together and really talk shop with people who were living the same uh, life that you were, exchange ideas. Um, it was easy travel because we were all, you know, it was regional travel, nothing too hard to get to. It was not a, an expensive, um, you know, conference like some of the international conferences can be or national conferences can be. So um, they just, they were such a tremendous um, team, I think, at the University of Michigan and always just really respected um, and enjoy working with them. Got it. Love it. Becky, you're Midwest through and through. I know. Midwest, you're talking Great Lakes. You write an encyclopedia about the Midwest and then you move to Florida. That's a big move. Tell me about it. It is. And let me just say, Florida is phenomenal. Like I love it here. Um, and I was a little bit worried about the heat, but love that too. Um, so this was something that actually it was during COVID um, that we were able to travel uh, as a family to Florida a little bit more than we had um, ever and ended up in a couple of cents coming down and staying for a few weeks because everybody was remote at that time um, and had always thought kind of Florida as a, as a long-term sort of thing. Like once the kids are, you know, grown, retired, all of that, you know, we'll make, uh, make the way to Florida. Um, but I think that experience during COVID uh, really, at least for me, made me think like, hmm, what if we could accelerate that timeline a little bit? And then this position came open uh, at UCF and um, 
And the more I learned about it, the more I was like, yep, yep, this is the place. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I'm the kind of person I don't, I'm not like superstitious or anything like that, but I, I do believe in kind of the rightness of, of an opportunity uh, and a moment. And so uh, the, the minute that I stepped foot on this campus, I knew I was like, all right, this is the place, this is the right place. And it, and it's not, it's not because, you know, it's like um, the best at everything, but there's just a, uh, cause there's a lot of work, you know, that, that we're doing here at UCF It's a young institution, um, really, really well positioned to take that next step. Uh, tremendous leadership team here uh, that we have, but it's the spirit of this university. I think that really captured me. Um, and then living in Orlando, I also was like this, it, it just was a place that immediately felt like home. Um, and so I can't say enough good things about living in Florida. Um, maybe politics aside, um, you know, the, the sunshine, the weather, you want to be outside all the time, except for, you know, in the middle of the afternoon in the summer. Um, but it's just, it's just beautiful here. And I love it. But you have been in major kind of foundational building mode. And I will say it was great seeing you and Rod and the team got to spend some time with Gina last week. Um, but just seeing you all kind of like roll deep as new members, the big 12, getting to do some, you know, in-person team building yourselves, getting out of Florida, you know, that had to just be a nice, nice break and um, a chance to connect just given really how much change there, there has been. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a, a lot of change at UCF in the last um, year and all really good stuff, um, you know, but I think as you're welcoming new leaders in as an organization, uh, you, you hit it, the, the nail on the head. There's just change all over the place. Like we're changing process, we're changing procedure, we're changing technology platforms, we're changing leaders, we're changing, um, you know, our approach to the work. Um, and so that that conference was kind of unexpectedly great in terms of team connection uh, for us. And I think it just reinforced, we were actually talking about this um, earlier this week. It, it was a, a nice opportunity again to, to get away, but reinforced how much we just, fundamentally like each other and we like working together and there we can find joy like in working together even when um you know things feel a little bit stressful or we're busy or there's a lot to get done and a lot of change to try to navigate um the fact that there's a fundamental underlying just appreciation um of each other and what each member of the team is bringing to the table um and just like just joy, joy to be together. Um, that was that was something that was, I think, a, a really special thing about that conference for our team. So you are in Orlando. Uh, everyone associates Orlando with Disney. There are almost fifteen hundred UCF uh, alumni who work at Disney. Um, and my understanding is you might be a fan of Disney, and maybe maybe have even been on the very newest cruise ship in the entire cruise line fleet for Disney. And so my question is, what can advancement teams learn from Disney with it both in your backyard, a deep connection to your UCF community and uh, your fresh recent cruise experience? Yep. So what a great question. I'll say that my, my first, um, Actually, I, I want to say my first exposure to Disney um, from a from an operational perspective really uh, was actually at the University of Cincinnati because uh, uh, the Disney Institute group came into town and, and we were fortunate enough to be uh, be involved in in some of those learning opportunities. And um, I, I will just say like the attention that Disney gives to the experience um, and and you and I'll just take the, the ship as an example. Um, and I've been on a lot of cruises and a lot of different uh, cruise ships. And walking on to a, a, a Disney uh, cruise ship is unlike anything else, at least that I have experienced so far. Um, just kind of the, the attention that is paid to making it unique um, and making it feel, I'll, I'll say, even as an adult, it made me feel like I was entering like a storybook almost in some cases. And, and I really liked that, even though I'm um, grown. Um, and I'll even just say like entering the cruise ship, um, in this particular case, we entered and it was Cinderella's ballroom. Um, and they announced us like we were entering a ballroom and it was, 
uh, shocking, but pretty funny. But just the the expense or the uh, attention, I think, to experience over and over and over again, um, and to make it seamless. And um, you know, their their dedication to, um, to to making that such an, an impactful experience. It cannot be easy, right? You think about all of the things in the background that have to happen, and all of the like the amazing amount of data and technology collaboration team culture building um, that they have to do as a company to make all of that work together and to make that experience so wonderful um, on the on the customer side that's a tremendous amount of work and so so what I would say maybe is above anything else like to create that that kind of experience on the on the customer end or on the donor end from our perspective it takes work um, and a lot of dedication to building that culture and that capacity within your organization. Well, I think one of the advantages they have as well, uh, which unfortunately is a challenge in, in the advancement sector is that they can be pretty thoughtful about their target market. You know, I'm sure somebody yeah. would, you know, be at Disney and say, I will tell you exactly who our cruiser is. It's somebody that is X to Y age with ABC characteristic and their kids have a median age of this and that, and this many kids. And this is the time in their kids' lives when they're most likely to take a career. Like, there's all this data that allows them to be like very precise in knowing who might be a terrific fit and also not wasting their time and energy marketing to people that are just not fits for a Disney cruise. And, and I think that's one of the big issues in advancement is we kind of have had, at least historically, this pressure to be all things to all people yeah. and to try to reach everyone and make everyone feel included, which is a a nice aspirational mission, but it's a literally impossible. And B, it means that in instead of creating like that hyper-targeted experience for a very specific segment of our population, we just kind of got to do something a little more watered down and generic for more people. And um, and and you know, you all are particularly unique given that you're either the largest or second largest institution in the in the country as it relates to graduating classes. Um, Yep. And so you've got one of the largest and youngest alumni communities in, in the world. Yep. Yep. And, you know, I think, I think to, to build on that, if I think about kind of the Disney experience, it would feel to me like they're extraordinarily focused on, um, on retention, right? So it's an exceptional customer experience so that you return. Um, and there are a lot of very loyal, I think, uh, Disney customers, patrons, I'm, I'm not sure what Disney calls them. Um, you know, that, that return again and again, and I'm to the point, my relationship with Disney where I'm like, it, you know, as much as I can experience, um, all things Disney, um, I, I, I love it because I think every time I go there, one, it's a great experience and two, you learn something, or at least I do, uh, that I can connect back to, uh, to my work. Um, and so I think, you know, translating that over to, um, our work in advancement, like you said, Brent, I think it's, um, you can't necessarily be all things to all people. Um, you really have to understand um, the, the people you are trying to engage, um, do so intentionally, give them opportunities to, to connect in, right? There's, there's some level of, uh, you know, attempt and engagement, I, I think, uh, across the board, but provide people opportunities to raise their hand. And once they do that, then you know, make sure that you're delivering kind of uh, really impactful experiences uh, for those donors so that, or engagers, uh, yeah. I would say even pre-donors, yeah. um, so that they continue to want to engage uh, with you. And I, I think, you know, I, I think there's a good question to be had here about what, like what value do we as a university provide to alumni, to donors, to the community, um, you know, be, beyond the long-term impact on, on a relationship level and on an experience level, how do we think about providing value uh, to them and something that they're going to want to continue to return to time and time again? So you all read the headlines around U.S. News changing their approach, alumni participation being removed from the calculations. I would think that for an institution like UCF, that might be like, let's get out the champagne and celebrate, or at least a sigh of relief type moment, because, you know, truly the 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 odds were just stacked against you, given the the you know many dynamics of the institution. So is that like a moment of just 
relief, refocus, recenter, or not necessarily? Yes, and um, so yes, in that it takes a little bit of the pressure off, uh, right? Because um, it was really difficult when you are graduating classes at the size that we are um, to to keep up, you know, with that. And and, and I think like many institutions um, that are very large, like UCF, what you end up having to resort to is um, some some transactional things or some. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're more geared about the act of participating rather than necessarily growing a meaningful relationship. Now, I, I will think, I think uh, UCF has tried to approach that as once somebody makes that kind of uh, participation gift, then we have to continue to engage them and build that relationship. But it can, you know, can generate a whole lot of, um, I, I would say, activity that feels a little bit more participatory than, than genuine. Um, and so I think it th this eases the pressure of that a little bit. And yet I would say um, alumni engagement remains really important uh, for the long-term success um, of the institution. Sometimes I think in the in the alumni participation conversation, um, non-alumni donors and their importance get get a little bit lost um, in that conversation at UCF. The community support has been, particularly because we are so young, has been just such a transformational part of our growth. Uh, as a university, so I think it helps us to to think about the donor base um, and our constituent base, maybe in a in a in a different way than necessarily only we're thinking so much um, about alumni. So so I would say it 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 gives us an opportunity to step back uh, for a second. But the notion of we need to grow our donor base um, and retain our donor base stays. Um, and, and perhaps so we can think a little bit differently about how we do that. I don't think it's um, let's celebrate a decline in donor count. And, and it's more just you all are one of the institutions where even if you achieved strong donor count growth, your APR would decline. And it sort of looks like uh, weakness or a failure when in reality it, it hides the the kind of full story. And so I hope that um, I hope that that does allow for some, you know, recalibration into the more um, kind of genuine forms of engagement that, that you were describing. So want to be conscious of time. Uh, you all are just kind of coming through this big team building mode, and I know that will continue. But when you look forward, you're obviously really passionate about the institution. You love being in Florida. In five years, when we catch up at the Big 12 Development Conference, what do you hope you'll be able to say that you all have accomplished, maybe not ultra specifically, but just what's the after if you're still kind of living in that before period of this new um, set of leaders at the institution? So, great question. Um, one, I, I think a lot about like, you know, what will it feel like uh, to work here? Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm still relatively new here, still really, um, like it, it feels spectacular to work here. I want that to continue to be true, um, you know, and, and, you know, our team is going to be growing. We, like many, many universities over the last couple of years, uh, you know, we have a, a, a fair number of vacancies. We're growing a team in some areas. And so we'll have a lot of uh, new people coming on board. So how do we continue to, to think about uh, our culture? Um, and, and really the, our connection to each other as a team. I think without that as kind of a fundamental um, building block of success, then you know we won't have the same kind of success. So are we operating as a cohesive, aligned, um, collaborative team? And that's not just in, in how we feel about working with each other, it's actually functionally how we work with each other, how we uh, develop systems of collaboration and connection um, so that all of our various um, disciplines, you know, within within advancement and partnerships, are rowing in the same direction um, and going towards the same goals. And and uh, you know, Rod is doing a lot of uh, work, and I think collectively we're doing a lot of work to build that kind of culture here. So that would be one thing uh, that I would say. I think that gets reflected um, in our our fundraising success. Um, and I think that this, this institution has uh, a strategic plan and a, and a mission to unleash the, the potential of people and ideas to positively change the world. Uh, we have uh, university leadership that are really committed and to this strategic plan. 
that's got some really meaningful metrics in it around student success, uh, around our community engagement. I, you know, the direction of the university is, is phenomenal um, and stellar. So I think the next step to that is really identifying and, and building a cohesive vision for how philanthropy will feel, feel that. Not just that we need philanthropy to feel that, but here's how it can. Um, and really identifying um, the most transformational areas uh, where philanthropy can move us forward. Um, UCF has a really incredibly passionate alumni base uh, and uh, donor community. I think they're they're ready uh, to help us get to that level. But I think the other thing that we have to think about, um, and one of the teams that I uh, work with here uh, is our donor relations team. And so uh, I think a lot also about in five years, not just not just what it feels like from an internal culture to work here, but what it feels like to give here. Um, what do our donors feel um, about this university? And if we can um, say that they feel passionate and connected and they understand their impact, then I then I will feel that we did a good job and we were successful um, in that. So it, it, and again, it gets it, it gets reflected in the growth of our of our fundraising operation as well. Yeah, I don't know that giving is ever quite as much fun as, you know, walking onto a Disney cruise with your family, but, <laughs> yeah. but, um, but it could be a lot more fun and a lot more rewarding than maybe it is right now, uh, or at least that it is for certain uh, segments of the population right now. And so obviously we're spending a ton of time thinking, how do we how do we get a lot closer to that Disney-like experience for a lot more of our donors who today might be getting a receipt? Yep. Uh, and 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 so there's a, a ton of potential, without a doubt. I know you're pursuing that um, aggressively. So let's just close with the Big 12 Development Conference where we started. Everything you just shared about what you hope you can say you accomplish, what it's like to work there, what is the donor experience, you know, realistically doesn't have that much to do with an athletic conference, but athletics can be a huge source of affinity and attention and passion or frustration and anger or annoyance or whatever it may be. So how much does joining the Big 12 um, matter as it relates to what you hope to be able to achieve in the coming years? I I, I think it's, uh, I used the word transformation uh, a few times in this conversation, but I do think it's a transformational opportunity uh, for UCF and that it uh, maybe puts us on a national stage in a way um, that we haven't necessarily been before. Um, I think, um, and I, I heard, um, you know, a lot of athletics uh, fundraisers talk about athletics as kind of the front door um, of the university. And I think that's true in a lot of ways. Uh, universities are more than their athletics programs, but what a phenomenal uh, way to really engage people and particularly keep a fan base engaged um, outside of your, your home city or your home state. Um, so it's, it's important for um, UCF in athletics for sure. But as you said, I, I think it makes a lot, it's going to have a tremendous effect across all parts um, of the university. And then I think about just you know us uh, from an advancement lens, being able to go to this co conference and have um, a, a group of high energy, uh, people that we can share ideas with, that we can share best practices with. Um, even that kind of opportunity, I don't think, has really been uh, here. We, you know, we have some collaboration with uh, other universities um, in the state of Florida, um, but it, it just it helps us broaden our horizons. I think in so many different ways um, that we're, I think, we're just we're just pumped uh, about it. But that exposure um, on a national level, I think, and being able to tell our story, share our impact. Um, more broadly and having the the um, space or the stage, uh, I would say to do that on is, that's really exciting. Becky, are you hiring? Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we're hiring um, lots of positions uh, in, in, in my area in particular, um, some technology positions. Um, we have some, we're going to be really growing our donor relations team here. Um, and then certainly, uh, thinking about as we move into the campaign, our, our fundraisers, our frontline team, uh, as well. So, um, I'll say 
as many positive things as I can uh, about UCF. It's just, uh, it's a university with an incredible spirit. Uh, we've got an incredible president of our university. We have a tremendous leader in Rod Grabowski. And, you know, I think what we're building here is a, is a really special team that's going to do some really special work. Well, it was clear that uh, that sentiment is shared not only by you, but by your team. Uh, it was fun to see you all, like I said last week, great energy, tons of growth potential, sky's the limit kind of opportunity. Um, there aren't there aren't that many institutions where there's just the combination of like scale and youth where uh, there's just so much building that needs to be done. Yeah, yeah. One of the fun things about UCF is we don't have a whole lot of like, well, we, we've always done it this way. Um, so we get in, you know, that's one of the benefits of change too, is you get an opportunity to really step back and take a fresh look at everything that you're doing. And so if you're an innovator, a builder, um, a creative thinker, and you want a, a, a space to be able to do that, UCF is the place. Well, thank you so much, Becky, for sharing your perspective today. Uh, again, fun catching up as always. Really appreciate the, um, the commitment you all have to elevating the donor experience there at UCF and pleased to continue to get your feedback. I didn't even get to share that, uh, you know, we've been doing some kind of AI pilot work and it was fun to give Becky a little sneak peek of that last week. And I will just say that her reaction was not safe for work. So we're not going to repeat it. Uh, no, you are but. doing, I am, I am just, I'm very excited uh, to be working with you, Brent and with Evertrue. Um, and and really excited about where we're going with stuff. Keep pushing, keep pushing us. We really yeah. need it. We appreciate it. Uh, wish you the absolute best, Becky. Know we'll be in touch soon. Would encourage everybody reach out to Becky, whether it's around uh, campaign leadership, whether it's around uh, prospect management, or just adding to your network in the sector. Shoot her a note on LinkedIn. Let her know that you heard her on the Raise podcast. And with that, I will sign off and just say thank you to today's guest, Becky Fulmer who serves as an Associate Vice President for Advancement Operations at the University of Central Florida. Thank you, Becky. Thank you, Brent.